This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 20th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. A popular program in Nevada to enable students to leave public schools faces two court challenges. Jason Bedrick, education policy analyst at the Cato Institute, discusses the results of round one. Last year, the Nevada legislature enacted the nation's first nearly universal education savings account program uh, in which every child who spent at least 100 days in the previous year at a public school, whether they're assigned to district school or a charter school, can leave and completely customize their education using about $5,000 of the money that would have been used for their public school education. Uh, So they can use it at private schools, but they can also use it for things like tutors, textbooks, homeschool curriculum, online learning, uh, and they can even uh, use it for, you know, different uh, college courses and and save the money from year to year. So the ACLU filed a lawsuit challenging the program. What was the result? Yeah, so there's actually two lawsuits currently against the program. Uh, One of them is from the ACLU, and that Finally, the decision came down earlier this week in the lower court uh, dismissing the challenge. Uh, the ACLU challenged um, challenged the ESA on two grounds. Uh, first, they said that it violated a section of the Nevada Constitution that requires the state to uh, create a uniform system of common schools. Uh, and they argued that... Um, there's a clause that it says must that the, these common schools must be established and maintained in each school district at least six months of the year, and uh, they should allow instruction. They may not allow instruction of a sectarian character therein. Uh, but there is a separate clause in the state constitution that enjoins the legislature to encourage education by all suitable means, uh, which is to say they may create a system of public, they must create a system of public schools, but they may have other types of programs. The ACLU argued that this phrase, by all suitable means, meant that they had to be non-sectarian in nature. Uh, but the the judge ruled that that's, that's not the case. These are two separate clauses. Um, they are not related to one another. And the, the, uh, the Constitution's prohibition against having religiously affiliated public schools does not, in fact, uh, exclude the possibility that the legislature could give money to parents to go choose um, any school of their choice, even if that school is religious. Which is no different from any number of other uh, ways in which we subsidize uh, students, even college students, to attend uh, religious schools. Right. And that was the second part of their challenge was they said, well, there's this other clause uh, known as the Blaine Amendment, uh, which uh, says that public funds of any kind or character shall not be used for sectarian purpose. And so their argument was, you know, you you can give money to the parents, but you can't let them use those funds at a religious school. Um, but they, the, the Supreme Court rejected the, sorry, this is the, the trial court rejected it uh, based on the U.S. Supreme Court's First Amendment jurisprudence. Um, they said, no, that the, the program has to be religiously neutral. It has to have a primary secular purpose, uh, but that there is nothing in the state constitution or the U.S. Constitution that says that private religious institutions cannot benefit 
from uh, public expenditures. For example, uh, you know, citing citing the Indiana Supreme Court's decision in Meredith v. Pence, uh, which which upheld a voucher program under a very similar constitutional provision. Uh, the Indiana Supreme Court said, well, you know, these religious schools, they benefit from fire and police protection, municipal water and sewage service, uh, sidewalks, streets, etc. And we don't say that this violates the Blaine Amendment. Uh, likewise, here, you know, parents are benefiting because they're providing an education for their children. If they choose to use it at a religious institution, you know, that's that's their choice. And the there's nothing in the state constitution that uh, denies them that that right. The the law has to be neutral among religions, and it has to be neutral even between religion and non-religion. Uh, but the Blaine Amendment, uh, this judge ruled, does not, in fact, require discrimination against religious institutions. Now, it's worth going into uh, – it's called a Blaine Amendment, and we've talked about this before, but some listeners might not be familiar with exactly – uh, what or who Blaine is and was. Right. So James Blaine was a U.S. senator from the state of Maine who was uh, prominent in the nativist movement in the late 1800s. Uh, they were concerned about Rome, Romanism and rebellion, right? The Catholic uh, wave of Catholic immigrants, uh, particularly from Germany and France and Ireland. Uh, now, when these Catholic immigrants came to this country, the public school system was de facto non-denominational Protestant, which is to say that you would go to your average common school, as they were known, and they were teaching the Bible and they had school prayer in a manner that any Congregationalist, Episcopalian or Baptist would be satisfied, uh, but not uh, Catholics. And so Catholics started opening their own schools. And at that point, they said, well, we're funding the Protestant schools with our tax dollars. We would like a portion of the tax dollars back so that we could also uh, fund our Catholic schools. And the Protestant elite said, wait a second, our schools are non-denominational. They're non-sectarian. Your schools are sectarian. And so they failed to pass an amendment to the U.S. Constitution, but they did succeed in passing amendments in about 40 state constitutions. And it was actually in the West for a lot of new states. It was a requirement, you know, no polygamy and no money, particularly basically for the Catholic schools. And even that term sectarian was a thinly veiled euphemism for, that meant Catholic. Uh, so the the, uh, this uh, judge wisely rejected that. Uh, this is going to go to the state Supreme Court of Nevada. Uh, like I said, there was another lawsuit that um, is already uh, there. Uh, the lower court justice, the lower court judge, put an injunction on the program, so it's currently not in effect. Uh, and there's a very good possibility that these two cases are going to be merged when they reach uh, the state Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll have a decision within the next year. All right. There's a, a similar case, although this is about uh, tax credit scholarships in Florida. What are the details of that? Right. So actually, this case even cited the Florida case uh, or, or its uh, predecessor. Uh, years ago, in an infamous case called Bush v. Holmes, the state Supreme Court in Florida struck down the state's voucher program. Uh, after, well, actually, they, they'd already enacted uh, a separate program which was not sued until about 13 years later, and that's a scholarship tax credit program. So the difference is that with a voucher, 
it's publicly funded and the scholarship tax credit program, uh, corporations donate to a nonprofit scholarship organization and they receive a tax credit. And that scholarship organization funds low-income children. Currently, there are about 80,000 low-income students, mostly minority, uh, who are attending the school of their choice with scholarships from that organization. The state teachers union, uh, as well as a number of other groups, uh, sued basically on the same two grounds. Uh, The difference here is that in the Bush decision, Um, about a decade ago, the court did interpret the uniformity clause to mean exclusive. In other words, they said when the legislature is obligated by the state constitution to create a system of free and uniform schools, it doesn't just mean that those schools must be uniform. It also means that, uh, the state is exclusively required to fund the system. It may not create a parallel system and that the voucher program was a parallel system. So the the state teachers union is arguing that the tax credit program is also a parallel system. Uh, This is the second time that the case has been, well, well, sorry, the case was dismissed uh, last year where the the judge said you have no claim because you have no standing there's you're unable to prove that you are harmed by this program in any way and these are private dollars not public dollars so you don't simply have standing as a taxpayer Uh, once again uh, they're uh, appealing this decision and the judges uh, expressed uh, last week in oral arguments uh, a lot of skepticism. Uh, one of the judge, one of the judges, Laurie Rowe, said, "You haven't alleged any individual student is suffering. You haven't alleged that per student funding has been reduced. You haven't even alleged that the state education budget has been reduced." Uh, and so, it is likely that uh, they're going to rule again that these uh, plaintiffs simply don't have standing because they can't prove any harm. Jason Bedrick is an education policy analyst at the Cato Institute. This month marks 10 years of the Cato Daily Podcast. Subscribe and share at cato.org slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.